Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Open your Bible to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. We are concluding a sermon series entitled A Light in the Darkness today. We've had eight previous messages. This is number nine and our final one. Let's go ahead and pray together today. Join me. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. Lord, your, your word shows us where we are. It shows us where we're going. And God, we pray that today that you would bring with the reading of your word conviction, encouragement, strengthening for each and every one of us in the life that we are living. We want to glorify you. We want to obey you. And so, Lord, we pray for the grace to obey you and not just hear your word, but to obey what your word says. And so, Lord, the words that are from you, let them stick, let them convict, let them encourage, but the words that are from me or just from me, Lord, let them fall to the side. We want to glorify you and receive from you today. And so we thank you in Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said amen and amen. Well, like I said, we've been in this sermon series. We've only focused on the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, and so we're concluding those three chapters, and we're not going to continue on. I'm starting something new next week. But we've been looking at how chapter one was where the Apostle John, one of Jesus Christ's most uh, closest disciple, one of his closer disciples, Peter, James, and John. And John is exiled to the island of Patmos, and it is there that he has a vision of Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And this vision brings him to his knees. He has a powerful encounter with the Lord. And as a result of that, in this vision, Jesus gives John seven messages for seven churches in seven different cities, the prominent cities of Asia Minor, and we've studied all of those messages except for one, which is the one that we are concluding with today. We've looked at the message to the church in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and now today it's Laodicea, and so follow along as I read Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, and here's what it says. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, he says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. This word spit literally means vomit. I will vomit you out of my mouth, because you say, I am rich, and I have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I advised you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you might become rich, and white garments, so that you might clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes, so that you might see." Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant him to, to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Each week that we've studied the churches in these various cities, I've sought to give you some context about the city because when Jesus is speaking to the church, he understands the relevancy of their context and he actually uses things from the natural elements and the common knowledge of those that would live in this city. So it's important for us to understand some of the things that Jesus would be referencing. We know that Laodicea is the seventh and final city on the Asia Minor postal route, as you can see by the graphic that is behind me. The city was located in a valley in between two other cities, so it's sort of like a tri-cities. They were known to be together. You have to the north and to the south two other cities. The first one was Heropolis, and Heropolis was a city that had these hot springs. It was known that Romans would travel there, and they believed that the hot springs had medicinal purposes. I've never been to hot springs before, but they're like natural hot tubs, I hear. I have a hot tub. I don't get in it, but, you know, people like that kind of thing, and so they would go there for refreshing, and this was very well known. The other city that was close by, about 10 miles away, was Colossae. We would know Colossae because the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians. And in Colossae, this, this city was lodged right against a mountain, and so it would have crystal clear, cold mountain water that would come down from the mountain, and it would be collected in the city. And it was refreshing. Romans would travel there in the summer to be refreshed, like pools, but in a different way from Heropolis. And so they had clean drinking water, it was cold drinking water, and it was refreshing in the summer. And so you have these two cities, and in between it is Laodicea, and they would, we'll talk about how the water impacts Laodicea in a little bit, but it was a very rich city. They were known for three things primarily, with many other things being true. The first was their finances. They were a, a banking center, they were a finance center, very wealthy, lots of financial power. In fact, some would say they were the wealthiest city of all of the ones that we have studied already at this time. We also know that they were known for fashion. They were renowned for the production of this soft black wool, which was luxurious, and it was sought after for garments and also rugs and other things like this. They were a center known for fashion. And finally, they were known for pharmaceuticals. There was a medical school, and there were rocks around Laodicea that produced this powder-type substance, and so they actually, in their medicine school, produced a tablet. And this tablet you could crush and use with water and put it on your eyes. It was like an eye salve, and so they were known for this, and it would bring some level of cure to an infection. Now, you have to remember this is a time in history where if you got an eye infection, you could actually go blind. That's why there's a lot of references to the blind in the Bible. Jesus healed the blind. Jesus healed the lame. People would go blind for very simple things that maybe we wouldn't even think of today because we have medicine the way that we do. And so they were known for pharmaceuticals. They were very rich, as I've said. They had Two theaters and not just one, like most cities. One, one of their stadiums sat 60,000 people, and you just didn't see that in the ancient world. There were only a few other cities. You'd think of like the Roman Colosseum. And it was, it was also a place that had many markets. Again, a lot of cities would have two markets. They had four, 
and well over 4,500 shops. So a lot of commerce, a lot of buying and selling happened here. And all of this matters. Everything I've just said and more matters because of what Jesus talks about, what he references, the things that he actually says. But as you know, as we've been studying the book of Revelation in these seven messages, the first thing that Jesus does is he speaks to the church about who he is. It's a revelation of who he is to his church. And so we want to look briefly at the revelation of Jesus to Laodicea. He says in verse 14, he says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, and I'll say it this way, I am the amen, I am the faithful and true witness, and I am the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus says three things. He says, I am the amen. This is a unique title that Jesus uses for himself, and it is a title we see about the Father in Isaiah 65 and verse 16. It's actually said twice, where it references God is a God of truth. That word truth in Hebrew is the same word that we would use for amen. Jesus is saying, I am the amen. He is, in this moment, making himself equal with his heavenly Father. And so anybody that doesn't have a Trinitarian theology, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-equal, I don't know what you do with the statements of Jesus because he is clearly saying that I am equal with God. He is the Son of God. He's saying, I am the amen. The word amen means truth. It means affirmation. It means certainty. It's referencing Jesus being firm and fixed and unchangeable. Jesus is sovereign over all things. He's the amen because he guarantees the truth of any statement that has been made. There's a passage in the New Testament where it says that all the promises of God in Christ are yes and he is guaranteeing because he's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. Truth is personified in a person. Everybody else might not fully tell the truth, but Jesus tells the truth. He is the amen. And the second title he gives to himself, or the reference that he makes, is he is a faithful and true witness, which is basically an extension of what we just read being the amen, meaning that he is trustworthy, he's reliable, he's the faithful and true witness, and he can be trusted to never misrepresent the message the content and the character of God because he is the son of God. And I think it's funny sometimes we live in a culture where people have said this to me and I've seen it certainly in videos and blogs and you've probably heard this before. People will say things like, well, Jesus never said dot, 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 right? And so usually when a person is trying to get away of some tr- with some truth or they're trying to get out of some perspective, like Jesus never said anything about this issue and usually it's, um, you know, could be LGBTQ or transgenderism and Jesus never mentioned it, so obviously if Jesus never mentioned it, then it doesn't matter, right? Well, no, because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one, and they're not in disagreement over anything. So when people say something like, Jesus never said, it's a very weird theology to suggest that somehow Jesus brought an upgrade that the Father wasn't aware of and the Holy Spirit wasn't in agreement with. So it's super weird. We don't agree with that, and we just want to say what it is and move on. But Jesus is the faithful and the true witness. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. The description of the Lord Jesus was also appropriate. He's saying, I am the faithful and the true witness because guess what? I'm about to tell you something that you may not like 
to hear. I'm going to say something to you about your condition. I'm going to give you a diagnosis. I'm the doctor that you don't want to come see because you know when you do, I'm going to say the very thing that is true and you may not want to hear it. You may not want to hear the diagnosis because it implies a prognosis. It implies a way forward, but Jesus always speaks what is true no matter what, and we know that is true of his word as well. He says also, I am the beginning of the creation of God, and unfortunately, the English language does not help us here because it sounds like Jesus is saying, I am the first of that which has been created, but other translations help us. And the grammar is very clear. He is not saying, I am the first of that which has been created. He is saying, I am the source of that which has been created. I am the originator of that which has been created. And that, that actually is congruent with all the other passages that speak of Jesus. For example, John chapter 1 and verse 1 through 4. Colossians 1, 15 through 16 and Hebrews 1, verse 1 through 2. It talks about all things were made through him, by him, and for him. This is talking about Jesus. So Jesus is not backtracking saying, I'm the beginning of the creation of God. I'm the first one that was made. No, he's saying, I'm the originator. I'm the source. Once again, if you do not have a Trinitarian theology, if you ever were in a church and they would act like Jesus was an anointed man and he was not God the Son, co-equal with the Father, that is error and false. The reason that we believe in the Trinity is because Jesus keeps making claims that he is equal with God. Any other man to make a claim like this is a blasphemer and a liar. But Jesus is no liar. He is speaking the truth. And he reveals himself to the church because he's about to give them some very serious words. But before, let's, before we look at the complaint of Jesus, let's look at the commendation of Jesus. What does he say about this church that is good? And the answer is very simple. Nothing. Just like Sardis. Jesus doesn't have one good thing to say about what the church is doing. And what we want to know about that today is we want to steer clear of their example, but we want to make sure we understand what they're doing wrong. So when Jesus brings up the complaint, we want to go, oh my gosh, this is what they were doing because this displays what they ought to be doing. So we want to pay close attention to the wrong that is in the church so that we don't reproduce that. We want Jesus to be well pleased with our life, but that isn't true of this church and may it never be of our church as well. So let's go ahead and look now at the complaint of Jesus found in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 15. This is what it says. Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish that you were cold or hot. I wish this. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And you have to feel that. I will vomit you out of my mouth. When you vomit, you are sick. Because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you might become rich and white garments so that you might clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you might see. I think the entire passage here is saying the same thing, but I want to break it into two parts. The first we see very clearly Jesus is saying that the church that he's speaking to is lukewarm. He said, you're not hot. 
You're not cold. I will spit you out of my mouth. I will vomit you out of my mouth. The church in that day, they knew what he meant because, remember, the city of Heropolis had the hot springs. The city of Colossae had that cool drinking water. It was refreshing in the summer. So you have that refreshing. You have that healing. They built aqueducts underneath the ground, and those aqueducts would go six to ten miles, bringing the water from those cities to the city of Laodicea. By the time the water, the hot water and the cold water, got through those miles of aqueducts to the city of Laodicea, guess what? It was neither refreshing nor was it healing. It was neither hot nor cold. So when the Laodiceans heard what Jesus had to say, they went, I know exactly what he's talking about. It gave them a visual. They had a feeling. They, they knew what Jesus was trying to say. Jesus was saying, you're like water that once started one way, but by the time it flows through where you are, it is no longer what it once was. It is like Jesus saying, I am rivers of living water, the Christ, and when the waters of heaven, the rivers of living water flow to the church and are supposed to flow through the church, the life that comes out of you is no longer what it was when I sent it. It's purposeless. It's not refreshing. It's not hot. It's not healing. It has lost its purpose. And guess what? People don't want it because it's not from me. It's not what I want. It's a Christianity that is Christless rather than Christ-like. And he's saying this, it's, it's your Christianity is sick. Your version is sick. And we've, we've got a real, it could be said he's saying it's disgusting. He's not angry or mad, but he's, he's being very, he's like the honest doctor. You know what I'm saying? It's, you don't want to hear this, but it's so true. And, and, and you've got to remember, every now and again, if you've been around church, you've heard the idea of a lukewarm Christian. You've heard this concept, like so-and-so is just a lukewarm Christian, right? And hopefully you don't say that about a family member, but you hear this once in a while, and it's sort of a churchy language, and we all kind of have an idea of what we think that means. But, but when I think of lukewarm, I think of like lukewarm bathwater, or I think of lukewarm coffee. Like if I have lukewarm coffee, I'm still drinking that coffee. You know what I'm saying? I'm not spitting that out because we waste nothing. You know what I'm saying? And if our kids draw a bath and I took a shower and somebody else took a shower and they fill up the bath and it's lukewarm, tough. You're still taking that bath because we waste not, want not. Amen. Some of you got stuff in your freezer you've had for a year. Like we're still saving it. We're going to keep it. Why? Throw it away, man. Some of you are laughing. You know who you are. <laughs> but that's, that's not the lukewarm that Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about like, this is a little bad. He's saying, I vomit this out of my mouth. It's so bad. You don't want it. I don't want it. It's not Christianity. It doesn't represent me. We've got to feel this. That's why Jesus gives them this picture. It's casual Christianity, and it's one of our greatest enemies. It's where we're Christian in name and not in practice. And you have to remember that Jesus taught that a tree is known by its fruit, and the fruit is the attitudes and the actions. But be sure of this, that Jesus is not just talking about behavior. He is always talking about the heart. He's not just talking about what everyone else sees. He's talking about even the root of it. Even the root system of it. It's not right. He, he's getting at the heart. He's provoking the heart. Sometimes we'll talk about this verse and you'll hear people say that, 
that you know, your, your life with God is not on fire like it should be or it's not you know, cold you know, and that's not following him. That's not what he means. It means the same thing. It's not refreshing. It's not healing. It's, it, it's not purposeful. Like I've, uh, like I've called it to be. You've lost your purpose. You're not Christ-like. You're Christ-less. This is what he's talking about. It's an illustration. It's a metaphor. And he wants us to capture the same exact thing. But we've got to remember that, that this is not just about spending time with God. That is important. You and I need to spend time with God in the secret place. We want to contribute to the gathering place, and we want to be a witness in the marketplace. All of those things are true, but what Jesus is actually referencing here in this passage is not just that we're not living a, 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 the best Christian life that we could, not necessarily that. He's specifically referencing to a people that live in a rich city. He's telling them that you are living this affluent life, and as a result of this affluent life, your Christianity is purposeless. Your Christianity is not what it's supposed to be. It's not sacrificial. It's not generous. It's not loving. It's not evangelical. You are not a witness in this city. I am the true and faithful witness, and you're supposed to be a true and faithful witness, but you look like everyone else in the city, and you're going about, and you even think that it's good. Which is the second thing, because how do people get to a place where Jesus would say that your Christianity is sick? Well, they do. By my second point, and he says it quite clearly, the church was blind to their true spiritual condition. How do you get to a place where you're lukewarm? Well, you get there when you're blind. You get there when you're blind. Jesus says, you say, you say, I am rich and I have need of nothing He's talking about wealth and status and material possessions. And these things have a way of making us think that we're blessed and highly favored. Mm, mm -mm. I want to tell you something. God does give increase for his kingdom purposes. I mean, I'm a living example of that. I mean, I, the, the path that I took and prior to becoming a pastor, and I saw God bless and and, and it was all about his kingdom. You know, he gives increase. It's not about wealth, and it's not about money. It's not whether we have them. It's whether or not that money has us. And so what he's trying to say, I believe, is that you're living in this rich area, you're living in this rich place, and you actually believe that your Christian witness is great and it's good. You, you are blind to what it really looks like. You say, I'm rich and I don't need a thing. But he says, you are really poor, naked, and blind is what you are. You're really poor, actually. It's, the, it's quite the opposite. It's not just that they don't know they're sick. It's that they think they're healthy. I want you to think about that for a minute. He's not coming to them and he's saying, hey, you guys are sick. And they're like, yeah, we know it. I know. We've known it for a while. You guys need changes. Yeah, we know. We need to change. We need to grow. See, there's no humility there. In fact, it's brazen. It's bold. Like, we, we are righteous, and we are awesome, and we are living our best. I was going to say our best life, but you might know that's a book. Sorry, Joel Osteen, whatever. Anyways, you might know, you might, you might think that you're blessed and highly favored and everything's great, but does everyone else think that around your life? I mean, are we still willing to get down on our knees like our Savior and wash dirty, stinky, nasty feet? Because that's Christianity. 
Christianity is the thing where we prefer others, love others, give our lives for others, sacrifice for others. Self-righteousness is the way of the Pharisee. It's the way of the Sadducee. It's the religious spirit, the self-sacrificing way of giving ourselves because we're not ashamed of the gospel and we're willing to speak about Jesus to whomever, whenever, because it's about Jesus. He's saying that you've lost your witness. You're not true and faithful witnesses. I am, and I'm calling you back. He's saying to them, listen, I'm the beginner of all of this, and I'm the omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I know where this is supposed to go. Can you be reminded that I'm calling you to something, and you're supposed to be a part of this, but you're not even in the equation right now. In fact, it's, you're sick, and I need you to come back. I need you to get out of this being lukewarm, and I need you to be healing again. I need you to be life-giving again. I need you to be refreshing again. I need you to be sacrificial again. I need you to be that. I need you to be that. You're my witness in Laodicea. But he said, you're blind. It's not just that they don't know they are sick. It's that they actually think the opposite is true. Wow. You know what that's called? It's called self-deception. That's the highest level of deception. The highest level of deception is self-deception because it's not an external source by which you are deceived. It's that your own heart thinks something that is not true. It's the story that we tell ourselves. I'm strong. I'm faithful. I'm righteous. I'm upright. I'm a great Christian. It gives us the empowerment to judge everybody else's Christianity. It's where we don't look in the mirror anymore. We look through the window and we see everyone else's flaws and issues, and we, be, we get angry, we get upset, we get distorted, we get distracted. It happens to me, it happens to you, it happens to all of us, it happens to the church of Jesus Christ. And he's calling his church out of lukewarmness, saying, I want you to be a witness that is refreshing, that is true, that is like me. Blindness can happen, it's all throughout the Bible, spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness is apathy and pride indifference. The prophet Isaiah accused the prophets of his day of spiritual blindness. He said, you are leading people astray because you're blind. Jesus referred to the religious leaders as blind guides who are leading the blind. He didn't say that once or twice. He said it many times. Jesus referred to those who did not believe in him as blind because they persisted in their darkness because men loved their evil deeds. And they continued in that. He says, Here, the Apostle Peter spoke of Christians who were not growing as blind to what they have received. You've been given the precious Holy Spirit, the Word of God. You have the path laid out for you. You have the power to take the steps, but you're not growing, which means you're blind to what you've been given. says this in Scripture. The Apostle John said about Christians who do not love people. He said to them, you walk in darkness. It's another way of saying you're blind because you cannot see. And in here, this moment, Jesus is saying to the church at Laodicea, they're blind from seeing their real condition before God. Can you agree with me today that that is not something we want for our lives? That if there is anything in me or us as a church that we want Jesus to address it, can you agree with that today? The psalmist wrote, I believe it was David, he said to the Lord, if there be any wicked way in me, if there's any wicked way in me, Lord... I want it gone. Sometimes when we go through things, we look at others and we go, there's a lot of wicked ways in them and I pray it would be gone. (laughs) It's deflection. It's blame shifting. And that may be true. There is a lot wrong in others. There is a lot wrong in the world that we live in. It's job security for an intercessor. 
You know what happens in times like these is that we forget that we needed the grace of God. We forget that we needed the salvation of the Lord. We forget that we walked in darkness and we still stumble even though we're in the light. We forget that and so then we look at everyone else and we go, you know, everybody else, all these other people, I can't believe that it's so harsh and so bad and so terrible and so evil and so destructive. We start judging it instead of rolling up our sleeves, rushing into it as light in darkness and salt it needs to preserve. Jesus is indicting his church. He's saying, you've lost your purpose. You're supposed to be rushing into the place that's dark because you're light. You're supposed to be rushing into the places that are decaying because you're salt. And you've lost your purpose. Instead, you're just chilling. You're just hanging around. And you look like everyone else. And I want you to come out of that. And I want you to get back on your knees. And I want you to wash feet. And I want you to get back to the place where you're sharing my word with people. And you're loving people. And you're giving your life away because you live in an upside-down kingdom. That if you want to live, you got to die. And if you want to gain, then you got to give. Jesus teaches us a different way. He teaches us a different way. He says to them in this context, blindness to their condition, he gives as a remedy. He said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. It's kind of a strange thing. He says, I counsel you to buy from me white garments to clothe your nakedness, and I want you to buy from me ISAV to apply to your blindness. He addresses the three industries that are prevalent. It's just, he's just a master storyteller, he just, and he does it in like six verses. It takes me a whole hour, and I still don't get it right. Jesus can do it in a moment, can't he? And I love this about the Lord. One of the things the Lord can do that I've never mastered, and I doubt I ever, ever will, I try to do this, but he can... He can correct you in one moment, and you can feel encouraged at the same time. I mean, I'm not good at that. I feel like I lean heavy this way or the other. You get a correction from me as a correction. You get an encouragement from me, you feel fluffy inside. It's great. But Jesus is like, with the sword, and then he's like, here's a cup of cold water. And you're like, wow, I know how to feel about that. You should feel good. He says to them, I counsel you to buy from me these things. What's he talking about? He's saying, you say that you are rich and you have need of nothing. And I say, you have nothing and you're in need of everything. You say, the story you tell yourself about your Christian life is completely false. And so I'm counseling you to buy from me that which is actually true. Gold. You think you have gold? It's nothing. I've got purity that you do not know. You think you have these nice, like this black wool, luxurious, I don't know what it would, you know, I'm thinking of a fur coat. Who wears that, you know? I don't know. I don't even know what that looks like. But you think you have this luxurious fashion and you look so nice. And he's like, I counsel you to buy for me white garments. What's he saying? He's talking about righteousness, purity. He's like, you say you've got this medical school and you've got these tablets and people from all over the world come to where you are and you're very proud about all of the pharmaceuticals that you have that bring healing to people, but you know what? People are still going to die and I'm counseling you to buy from me, not a pharmaceutical, but something that actually heals your blindness both temporarily and eternally. He's saying, cash it all in and obtain from me what you cannot buy. Cash it all in and obtain from me what you cannot buy. Your riches, your material possessions, he's saying, it's all temporary, it's all going to go. But what you need to know, what you must have, is what I give. 
And that comes through receiving and through humility. It's following the way of Jesus, having what he has and giving that away, whether it's sharing the gospel, doing good works, or being a good example. Those are the three goods that the church should be all about. We're a good example. We look like Jesus. We do good deeds. We do what Jesus did, and we share good news. We share the gospel of Jesus. Three goods. That's what we're about. Jesus calls his church back to that, not to have a good life and that everyone else thinks well of us. Cash it all in for the true riches of heaven. And I, and I do say this in light of, of uh, popular versions of Christianity today. I, I don't mean to uh, bash anybody, and I certainly want to uphold all of the church of Jesus Christ. No, no pride in this, but it is concerning when you live in a culture where a lot of, or a, a portion of Christianity highlights you know, how great you can be and how rich you can be and how you'll never have a problem and your relationships will always be great and your pockets will always be fat and your stock portfolio is always going to be sure. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you know what I'm saying. Have a need, sow a seed, times get hard, put it on the card. You know what I'm talking about. Right? Want to reach your destiny? Give the rest to me. We're taking a second offering today, people. Come on, ladies. You want to break the curse? You got to empty your purse. Time is now. Time is short. You don't like it when I do this, but this is the nonsense. We live in a time where it's another telethon and another moment and another things. Bring your money to the altar. That's what it's all. You know, it's like, look, I believe in tithing. I believe in giving and I believe in kingdom generosity, but I, I do not believe in us proving that we're amazing by having material possessions and us like living this, this idea of what some people say is our blessed life. And uh, it's always material possessions. It's a weird type of theology that I've never understood, you know, it's, 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 part, it's part of a camp that I've not been a part of, and I just, I meet people sometimes, and I'm like, that theology is harming people. It's, it's, it's causing a disillusionment. I, I believe God will in, increase us for kingdom purposes. He does that. I believe God will heal us because the glory goes to Him. I believe that. But there's a version out there that is, it's not even subtle anymore. And I would tell you in a season like we're in now, all that stuff is going away. I mean, the skinny jeans and the smoke screens and the smoke lights, all that stuff's going away too. The sort of weird versions of Christianity, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? I remember, uh, <laughs> we used to call it the attractional model. I, I, listen, okay, I told you the 1130 is the loose service. Here we go. <laughs> One time, I don't know if I, you don't say come on, you don't know what I'm about to say. Back in our old home, we'd get, uh, and I'm not trying to bash churches, but we got to stop doing this stuff. we got to stop doing this stuff. I'd get like, uh, mail, we get mailers and people would say, come to our church and we'll give you a free gift card. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not coming to your church, first of all. But secondarily, like, you know, just trying to rope people in and trying to, just this advertisement culture of the church, it's just... It's, it's about building our own kingdom and wanting to look special and amazing. And I, I just, I, I hate that this is out there. I hate that it's all about building up some kind of uh, veneer, a view of how great our church is. It's like, either we are or we are not, but what does Jesus say about our church? I mean, Jesus is wondering if we're preaching his word, if we're holding true to what the Bible says. It, I mean, 
the conveyor belt to lukewarm Christianity isn't about just not being a good Christian. It's the path that it leads is the wide gate that leads to destruction. And so we've got to live in this tension of wanting to follow the word of God and follow Jesus and hear the correction of the Lord so that we're not missing the boat. I don't just want to have like a, a good little bubble life that people think well of me. I want to be a true witness of Christ. I want to be sacrificial. I, I want Jesus to look at me and say, you're doing what I want you to do. You're, you're giving away yourself, your life, your, everything I've given to you. It's, it's for the sake of the world. And that's part of, as we gather together, we're sharpening each other so that that is true of us. But the temptation is always there for a church to become you know, the hot thing, and, and we compete with the world, forget it. We're not even close. I, I've struggled with this in my vocational ministry years. I, I, I won, for a period of time, I was a small group pastor, and we have this attractional model in the church. And I know I shouldn't talk like this because, like, I'm a pastor, but I'm, here we go, you know. So. But I struggle sometimes because we focus on the wrong things, and so in our small group model, it's like, I remember I, I inherited this uh, affinity group model, hiking, biking, and triking in Christ. You know, it's like, we have everything for you. We, we, you can come and we have a bike ride and we have a, we have a, a hike thing. And, you know, I want to start, you know, it's not Bible, it's not prayer, it's not worship, it's not evangelism. It has nothing to do. You can do that from the YMCA, people. Now, there is nothing with you, wrong, wrong with you and I going hiking with people. My wife loves to hike. I don't. She does. Amen. It's a great thing. Go hiking with some buddies, you know? But I had this pressure. Understand what I'm saying. Hear me really clearly. I had this pressure as I was like this small groups pastor to facilitate people building friendships around things that they liked. And I thought, this is a terrible job because we're not even close to as good at the, as this is the YMCA, and it's like we're competing, you know? It's like, I, it's not attractional. We, here's what we do here. We believe the word. So our groups, our groups, the common denominator is the word of God, worship, and prayer. And from that comes relationship. And from that comes a day where we go hiking. And from that comes all of the other things where we eat together and we have fun together and we get to know each other. But if we try to build a model around something else, it's just going to fall apart. And we're kind of, and I believe that when you look at lukewarmness in Laodicea, I actually think that's where it starts. It starts by us trying to be attractional and us trying to pull in these other concepts and all that stuff. We're all people. We all live in the world. We all have needs. We all need friendships. All of that stuff is great, but we can't build the church around that. We build the church around the Lord. We build the church around the word. We build the church around prayer. And then we see the transformation that the Bible says is supposed to come through a city on a hill and the light of the world. But when we lose our focus and we start doing other stuff, there's no wonder why there's no power. There's no wonder why there's no change. There's no wonder why young people look at our witness and go, I don't want that. I don't want that. So our life has to be sharpened and our life has to be full of the word and prayer and worship. We've got to be focused on the right things because we can become blind of our true spiritual condition where Jesus, his perspective of what we're doing and how we're doing it is different than our own. And that to me is scary. I know you want me to be out of the book of Revelation because these messages are like all kind of the same about bam, bam, bam. But it's important. 
It's important, you know. I mean, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I just, we want the glory of the Lord. This is the, the church of Jesus Christ. It's about him, and, and uh, we're, just, we're just those who need to be focused. Jesus says now in his correction, though, in verse 19, he says, Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. Jesus is clear that he disciplines those that he loves. We want the discipline of the Lord. We want the pruning of the Lord so that we don't end up somewhere that we're not supposed to be. So we say to the Lord, prune us, correct us, adjust us, do what you must do. We shouldn't want to get away with anything. And in fact, we don't. You know, I tell my kids, you can't get away with anything. Because God knows. I mean, you go ahead, spread the good word, parents. It may not work, but it feels great when you say it. It Sort of feels therapeutic. He says this, though. He says, be zealous, which means to be excited and eager. He says, be zealous and repent. How many times in your life have you been excited to repent? (laughs) Be zealous and repent. Turn from the things that are distracting you and distorting you from the Lord Jesus. From your heart, make an inward change. Make a decision. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. What a strange picture. He says to the church, I'm standing at the door, using a house as a metaphor for the church. I stand at the door and the wording is like, I aggressively, incessantly keep knocking. I'm at the door knocking, and he says, if anybody opens the door, hears my voice and opens the door and lets me in, guess what? We're going we're gonna to have fellowship. We're going to have time together that you're longing for. This is what you were created for. But, but Jesus is on the outside wanting to come in. And he's saying, I'll dine with you. I, I will have intimacy with you and fellowship with you, but you, you got to let me in. What does, that, what does that mean? It means that Jesus is looking for us to make a decision that what we're about in here and as us is everything that he's about because he says, I'll dine with you. We'll have fellowship. That means when we're making disciples and we're sharing the gospel and we're raising our kids in the admonition of the Lord and we're encouraging one another and we're worshiping him, Jesus is in the midst of that, and he's encouraging us on. He's telling us to keep going. He's challenging us. Come on. He's encouraging us. He's saying, I'll have fellowship with you in that. When you're discipling someone, when you're doing my work, and you're like, oh, this isn't working out. This person doesn't even like me. They're not even listening to my words. And he looks at you, and he says, yeah, that's, I had that with the disciples, yeah. You have a special fellowship with Jesus. I'll, I'll dine with you. You'll understand what I went through and I'll give you wisdom as you walk out the life that the word of God tells you you're supposed to walk out. But they're living another life. They're not living a life of discipleship. They're not living a life of evangelism. They're not living a life where they're passionate about Christ and his commands. They're they're living an affluent, self-righteous, everything is awesome kind of Christianity that is no Christianity at all. It's Christianity in name and not in practice. Jesus says that you are sick and you do not know it. He says, to those who overcome, you will sit on my throne with me. You'll have authority. 
with me. I'll close with this. Um, I think it was last week I told you the story about the tree that fell in my backyard. You may not remember, but during that storm, we had this 65, 70-foot tree fall in our backyard, and it should have come straight at where I was sitting and where my wife was sleeping upstairs. And for some reason, it kind of fell this way, hit our hot tub and fell into our yard and barely nicked our gutter. I mean, it's like barely scraped anything, except this, we have this, I kept saying it every day to our family, we have a tree in our yard, you know. This is just weird when you look in your backyard, there's a 70-foot tree just laying across your backyard. It's just, whatever. Anyway, so I went and took a picture of the roots. I don't have the picture, but the root system, I mean, there was just like nothing, it was like nothing. It didn't go down very deep, and it was scary. It was like, what is, what is going on? Well, the arborist came out and told my wife, it said that these trees are not native to this region. And the way that they grow is they grow together. I think it's that the roots are supposed to combine and go deeper, and plus the soil was saturated, so the roots couldn't go down deep, and the trees weren't supposed to be in the area that we're in. And so the lady that owns the house behind us decided to take all of those 65, 70-foot trees out because it's, they were saying, hey, this is just a prophecy of what's about to happen. That's my language. But that's, all of these are coming down. And so she took them all out. And I remember walking out into the backyard the first day all these trees are gone. And I'm like, whoa, my gosh. I mean, you can, like, you'd have to understand, these are big trees. You couldn't even see you had neighbors. And now the trees are all down and it's clear and you can see everything that you've never seen before. Because this entire thing has been wiped out and you can see, I mean, I can see airplanes now. and <laughs> It's amazing. I mean, it's like... The sun used to hit us at about 2 o'clock. Now it's probably like 9 a.m. So everything's open and everything's clear and you can see everything. What, what am I saying? I felt, like, I felt like the period of time Pastor Susanne referenced that we've been in has been just a clearing, right? It's just cleared out all this stuff. And you can actually see what the root system actually is. So where there's this anger rising up and this distrust that's coming out of us or all these things, look not to other people. Let's look in the mirror. Sometimes the difficulties that we face and the temperature that we notice inside ourselves, this stuff that comes up and comes out, it's a reflection of what Jesus wants to transform. And if we don't see it right, we will not be changed into the image of Christ. We will remain ourselves or worse. And my greatest concern, I mean, even in this season, I'm, I'm, I believe revival is upon us. I do. Oh, man. When we press in and we pray in the Wednesday nights, I mean, we're going for it, man. Whether there's few or many, we're, we're, we're pressing in. The Holy Spirit has touched our hearts. We're, we're going for it. But if I have a concern, it's for some who are not interpreting some of the stuff that Jesus is, is wanting to deliver, wanting to deliver them from. And so I burden with this every day, night and day. I'm, I'm praying for those who name the name of Christ to be delivered, to allow the clearing, the shaking that has happened to bring that deep deliverance to ourselves, that we would have more with Jesus as a result of it. That's what I want. That's what I want for his people. I want his people to be holy as he is holy, righteous as he is righteous, true and faithful as he is true and faithful. And we're a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. We don't become purposeless without salt and without light. We become purposeful. 
Can we get back to the things of the kingdom of heaven? And I believe that's us. I believe that's us. And now we can see what we've never seen before. There are some things, and that is a gift for us to be able to see and go deeper with the Lord. I believe you want to go deeper, and that's what I'm going to pray over. So would you stand to your feet? Would you pray with me and agree that we would go deeper in the Lord than we've ever gone before? You can't, if you say no to that, I can't help you at all. I can't, I don't know what to say. You got to say yes, amen. So pray with me. Father, we thank you today that you're opening our eyes that we would see. You're opening our ears that we would hear. Father, I thank you that you're removing, if there's any sense of lukewarmness in us, whether it's what we're doing, what we're saying, what we're seeing, how we're thinking, Father, we just lay it at your feet right now. We repent of any sin that's in us, any wicked way that's in us. We ask you that you would deliver and transform our hearts, not just our behaviors, Lord, but our attitudes. You would deliver us, God. We ask for a transformation. And Lord, I pray now over Northwest Church that we would be more fruitful in this season than we have ever been. God, I pray that we would be more fruitful in this season than we have ever been. And what I see is I just see a field that is ready to be planted in. And it's time to sow. So I ask you, Lord, that you would help us to be laser-focused on the purpose for which you have called us, that we're reminded that the world needs your gospel, the world needs a good example, and the world needs the good deeds that point to, as we speak about, the Lord Jesus. We commit ourselves today to not being lukewarm, but to being on fire for you. So release that holy flame today and baptize us fresh with the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Somebody's having like a pain in their neck, the back of their neck, and uh, it's kind of hurting at the base of your, uh, the base of your head here, your skull. And so if that's you, just want to pray. Father, we pray that you would release healing in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Somebody, you're having stomach pain. I don't think it's digestive. I think it's just You're just having pain in your stomach, and it kind of comes and goes. It's very strange. And Lord, we just release your healing. The Bible says the gift of healing as we gather. We release the gift of healing. Go ahead and pray with me if that's not you. Just right now, healing in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We spoke about eyes today. Something is acting up with someone's eyes, your eyes. There's a blurriness even. I don't know if that's you in the room or online, but if that's you, just receive the healing of the Lord today. In Jesus' name, somebody, you're having eye problems, so we pray for healing over you right now from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. We release the healing power of Jesus. He's the great physician. He heals. Thank you, Lord. And there's someone also you're waiting for clarity. There's two things. You're waiting for clarity for maybe employment. What's your next step? You came in here today, you've been contemplating this very serious. And you also, there also is a contemplation of moving, your house, your situation, moving, what you're supposed to do, where you're living. So that's two different people, it's two different things. But if that's you, I hear the Holy Spirit, he's saying this to us today, that he'll give you clarity, he'll give you the next step, he'll give you what you need. And so let's just ask for him to release that today. Lord, we ask that you would release clarity, that you would remove any confusion that as we seek you and we receive from you, we follow you, that you'll give us all that we need in Christ Jesus. So we thank you today. We honor you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen.
Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.